on our ears, Lord, the things that you want for us to hear. And we just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. By the Americans for extra inspiration, Rowdy, but it's going to take a lot. Phelps going first. Amory Laveau of France leads it off. Second fastest ever in the 50-meter free. The reason the French have come onto the scene here is that they've got three sprinters who have come out of the last year or so a little bit out of nowhere. They have come out of nowhere. I mean, they were nowhere on the radar screen at all. Look at Eamon Sullivan from Australia. Three-time Olympian. World record is absolutely going to be shattered here. The United States trying to hang on a second. They should get the silver medal. Australia is in bronze territory right now, but Lezak is closing a little bit on Bernard. Can the veteran chase him down and pull off a shocker here? Well, there's no doubt that he's taking off. Bernard is losing to ground. Here comes Lezak. Unbelievable at the end. He's done it. The U.S. has done it. He did it. And he did it again. Phelps' hopes alive. <laughs> Yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> I know we've all seen that once, right? It's so amazing as you watch that, just to see that like thrill of, ah, the victory. And as I was thinking about this message and this whole sense of unity, it, it just struck me of, 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 of how just the, the perseverance and the work and the effort put in by each individual athlete. They sacrifice their time and their talents and their resources, their energy. They sacrifice often their friendships, and they work. And swimming becomes their lives, or whatever their individual sport does. And day after day, year after year, they invest their lives. They invest their hearts and their soul and their energy and their time into this. And then you step back and you kind of see this individual effort, but you step back and you realize, like in this kind of a race, in a relay, you realize in a relay, they need one another. And so all of a sudden, you're working so hard for your own effort, and you have to get out of the pool and hope your partner comes through. You've got to trust another person to come through. If you don't have the team medal, you have no individual medals. And, and their medals depended on each other. So to celebrate like that thrill of victory... They needed each other. And, and it was amazing to look at. You know, the, the United States time was 3.0824. Great Britain was uh, in eighth or in last place in this particular race, 3.12. But even the Great Britain, the team, beat the individual gold medalists by about 30 seconds in that event. So they just killed them as a team, way more powerful than the individuals. And Michael Phelps, of course, is the most decorated athlete. and The one who celebrates this was key to him getting the eight gold medals. This, I think it was the second one of this game. And you hear all about him, but his time was 47.51. Jason Lezak, 46.06. Okay? The fastest time in history in a link. The fastest time. And if it wouldn't have been for Jason Lezak running his incredible leg, Phelps wouldn't have had that gold medal. He wouldn't have set those records. You see, to win as a team, they had to focus on their race, their time, their energy, but they had to trust their teammates to achieve that incredible kind of team unity that's necessary to win a gold medal, it requires great effort. But you can't produce it by trying. You see, every team in every sport strives for that kind of mystical thing that we call unity. 
Every team does. You, you, if you've ever been on a unified team, you know it's like awesome. It's better than any individual accomplishment you can have to have that sense of the team all pulling together. It's, it's, there's just like a sweetness that everybody wants, everybody desires. And we all long to be part of a unified team. Every single one of us does. And so whether it's in sports, whether it's in our business, whether it's in our family, in our church, we all want to be part of this team that, 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 that we can contribute to that accomplishes something way greater than we can by ourselves. Something that's way beyond what we can accomplish. That's, that's the, just this thrill that's indescribable. And, and it, it just requires way more than something we can manage our own. But you see, even like the seemingly individual accomplishments never happen on their own. Even in the individual sports, it requires an incredible team. It requires parents and families. It requires, you know, your competitors and your partners and your sponsors and your coaches. So many things go into every accomplishment. And, and we as a body of believers in Jesus Christ, as this local church at Rimrock, we want to see God accomplish great things through us things that, that individually we can't do. So we pursue a relationship with him. We believe he is truth. We believe he is relevant. We pursue knowing this God of the universe, and it's such a thrill to see him move and to see him work. Now imagine being part of a team. Just imagine being part of a team, a team of believers whom God, I mean the ultimate source of everything, this God, if he were to use a team that you're part of to change the world, to change eternity, to change the, 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 the whole direction of eternity for lives. It's an incredible opportunity. Long after the medals fade, long after all the things we've accomplished in this world are put in a box, long after we're put in the ground and we're, we're face-to-face with God, we can see He is the one that used His team, a church, to impact the world for eternity. What an incredible thing we can be a part of. What a better place to invest your time, to invest your energy, to invest really your sacrifice in the church. It's God's, God's choice of how he's going to reach the world through you. You're the church, individual believers. And, and we're literally on the edge of glory every day. It's an amazing thing to think about. And it's an incredible privilege. The title of this message is Just Now Treasure Unity. Just now, treasure unity. Let's pray. Father, we come to you just now, and and God, we need you this moment. As we pause and we consider all the activities of this past week, the rally, the activities, the people, the energy, the vacations that are upcoming or have happened, the times at the lake, the things that are racing ahead as the summer comes to a close, God, we stop right now and just pray that you would speak to us. Pray that right now, God, that you would just... Just remove me out of the way. Remove any impediments each of us have from hearing from you and that you would just break through in our lives and make yourself real and just explode in our lives with your glory. We want to honor you, the King of kings, Lord of lords. May you be glorified in our time together. We thank you for the privilege of being part of the team that's part of the God of the universe that's put together. Be honored through us. Amen. You know, we're looking at this, this whole process of what drives us and what we treasure. And we've looked at, at different things about our relationship with God and about truth and about God's relevance. And, and, and another, this mystical thing is kind of unity. Uh, we've recommended different books. There's some in the bulletin for you, Will, that, that kind of 
capture what we're, we're sharing and, and, and just kind of expand on what we're doing. But this whole sense of unity is so hard to define. And so often what we do is we, we love that sense of unity. You know, we want to go like, yes, that is so great to see. We all love that, that thrill. And yet somehow we can't quite put our hands around it to make it happen. So what we do is we move towards unanimity, okay? And we replace unity for unanimity or being unanimous. I mean, just the definition is, is an agreement by all in a given situation, okay? An agreement by all in a given situation. Dan Taylor wrote a book called The Myth of Certainty, and he, exper- he really explored the difference between unity and unanimity, okay? And unanimity, uh, he writes, is very tidy. It can be measured. It can be monitored. It can be enforced. It's largely external. The primary goal is corrected behavior. And you see, you see, even though we seldom speak of it, we all want the security of being part of a unified team. So, so what we easily do is we try and manage that on the external by controlling things that are going on, behaviors, right, or actions, and it moves towards legalism or religion. But basically what we want, we want a list of do's and a list of don'ts. If you do this, we're going to get this unanimity, which we hope leads to unity. If you don't do this, we're going to have it, okay? And we're hoping that somehow leads to unity. And it gives us kind of the sense that we control this and the sense that we're in charge of the security of it. But the problem is, is this unanimity is impossible to really achieve because, because we can't control what everyone does much less what everyone thinks, what everyone believes. So we can put in the rules, but that doesn't mean anything just based on the external behavior. Just because you attend a church service doesn't mean you have a relationship with the God of the universe, right? Just because you're all kind of quiet now for a moment, it doesn't mean you're listening, okay? Uh, And I know kind of how a lot of you think, and man, your minds are probably all over the place, right? And I know where my mind goes a lot of times. And so you might be thinking about the business deal in 2014. I I don't know. But, you know, we can be quiet, we can sit, but that doesn't mean we're necessarily listening. We can't control that external behavior. Just because we act properly doesn't mean we're not rebellious in our spirit, in our heart. We can totally be rebellious and act properly, right? And so, you see, we just can't manage that unanimity, and yet that's what we're always trying to do. Now, unity, on the other hand, uh, as Dan writes, is this Christian principle. It's profound, and it has this mystical quality. It takes great effort to achieve, and yet mere effort will never produce unity. And unity is a source of great security, and yet it demands great risk. Unity essentially is a right spirit. You see, unity is largely something that's inside, it's internal, it's almost indescribable. Uh, Several weeks ago, we had a pastor here from South Africa, and he was visiting, and he wanted to get together with me because he loved you guys. He loved this place. He loved the spirit of Rimrock. And he thought, this is such an amazing thing. You know, what have you done to to create this? And, And of course, I'm going, nothing. You know, I'm thinking, we focus on God, we believe in his grace and his love for each of us. And, and he knew that, you know, the basics. There's, it's like you, you can't really put your hands around it. But as I've considered unity, as I've really thought about this message a lot, I would say, you know, basically what we've done and what our heart's desire is is to focus on Jesus Christ and then let everybody swim their own link. Let everybody swim their own race. You see, let everybody do what they're called to do in their own way. It's totally unique. 
it's totally amazing. Now, obviously, we all want to make sure we're all swimming the right direction, and we all want to make sure we're kind of swimming the right strokes for the race we're involved in, but, but based uh, beyond the core values, you just have freedom to swim, to lead, to walk with the God however he leads you. And we don't want Rimrock to revolve around a person except for Jesus Christ. So, so unity is like this, this right spirit. And, and you think about, like, how do you possibly go about creating unity? Where do you even begin? Well, you see, our world sees the power of it, okay? Our world sees the power of unity. Our world sees kind of this mystical thing that, that's really the essence of unity, and so the world, of course, tries to create unanimity in hopes that unity follows. If we can all just think the same, vote the same, act the same, we're going to be unified. But really, it's all based on external performance. It doesn't ever work. But you know, they get the idea of unity. If you go to basic training in the military, if you go to basic training in a sports team, if you go to basic training in a business, the very first thing they do is strip away your pride right? They want to strip away your pride. They want to break you down to a place where you can learn the proper behavior of the team, where you can learn to trust the drill instructor or the coach or the commander or the boss. You see, basically the idea, however it's accomplished, is to take your eyes off of yourself and put your eyes on the prize, right? Change how you think. Instead of thinking about yourself, think about the team. And, and instead of thinking about how you think everything should be done, learn how we do it here. Okay, that's the focus. And, and hopefully then, as we all focus on that in a sporting event, for example, or in a business or in military, then that leads to unity. People get that. And, and, but the problem is it only takes one person to screw it up, which we've all experienced, right? It just takes one person to mess up the whole thing. And so it's, it's very frustrating. But what the world doesn't get, okay, and what the world can't explain and what the world cannot put their hands around that only we can in the church, okay, what they cannot get is, is really what humility is. What it is. What it is. You see, they get the concept. And the concept is, is that we take our eyes off of ourselves and focus on something else. We're not thinking about ourselves. But the Christian principle of unity, the Christian principle of humility is much more profound. You see, humility is entire dependence on God. It's way more than just taking our eyes off of ourselves and focusing on a goal. It's way more than taking our eyes off ourselves and listening to a coach or a commander or a pastor or something like that. No, 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 no. Humility in the truest sense it's taking our eyes off of ourselves, not focusing on ourselves, but focusing on the God of the universe, focusing on Christ in us. And that's really where unity begins, with humility. If you have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 12, and Romans chapter 12, you know, is an incredible letter that Paul uh, wrote. And, and basically, he spends like 11 chapters explaining, here's the design of man, here's where man messed it up, here's how sin happened, here's how the fall happened, but I loved you guys so much that I sent my Savior, I sent my Son, Jesus Christ, to be your Savior. You can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you can be right with God through Jesus Christ. And, and he lays out this piece by piece by piece that you are righteous, you are holy, you are forgiven because of what Christ has done. And then he comes to chapter 12 and he says, okay, now here, live it out. And basically he says, look, offer your bodies as a sacrifice. That's what's reasonable now. 
because of who you are. And he says, renew your mind to the truth of who you are. And then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Okay? He shifts gears and he says, listen. What he's saying essentially is live in humility because he goes on and he says, don't think more highly than you ought to think about yourself, but think so as to have sound judgment as to God because he has allotted to each one a measure of faith. You see, to soar, we have to set aside ourselves. You see, to soar, we can't have our focus on ourselves and our own achievements, but even more than that, our focus has to move to the God of the universe, to be entirely dependent on God. And that's really the ultimate pursuit of life. You want to know what you're going to get rewarded for by the God of the universe? The more moments each day we can spend dependent on God. The more moments each day we can spend in humility, exalting God and allowing him to live through us. That's where we're ultimately going to get rewarded and fulfilled. Now the victory comes, not as we're so often taught through self-discipline or, or self-assertiveness or self-fulfillment or, or, or exalting yourself, which is, you know, is all the normal things we try and accomplish. It's not about putting ourselves on center stage. The victory in life comes from forgetting about yourself. Self-forgetfulness. It's not a low opinion of yourself, okay? It's not this deceptive thing that, that you have a low opinion of yourself. No, no, no. It's focused on Christ. You replace yourself with Christ. It's a simple concept. It's abiding. It's walking in the Spirit. It's so subtle. And yet we're not focused on our commander or ourself or our business, right? Or our, our pastor. We're focused on Christ. Now just imagine, just imagine... If each of us, as believers in Jesus Christ, every believer in here, if we just decided for the next two hours, okay, till like one-ish, whatever, after lunch, for the next two hours, if we just decided, each and every one of us, that we were going to live for Christ's sake. We're just going to live for Christ's sake, okay? The focus of what I do is going to be for Christ's glory, and I'm going to just simply say, God, use me how you want to use me. Speak through me. I trust the people that you bring into my life, you want to use me to share your love with. Imagine what would happen if we just did that for a couple hours, every single one of us as believers. Imagine if we did that for a few days, for a few months. This city would be changed for eternity. The Black Hills community would be totally turned upside down by the power of God. That's the amazing amazing place that God has placed us as his representatives. He allows us to, to surrender to him and allows us to see him live through us. It's amazing. And all of a sudden, this, this, this mystical quality of unity is accomplished because our focus is on God. We're surrendered to him. And also, it sets every single one of us free. We're not worried about what everyone else is doing. We're not judging about, you know, judging our neighbors for they should be doing this, they shouldn't be doing this, they should be going here, they shouldn't be going here. No, 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 we're just focused on what God has called us to do. And we're trusting that you're doing what God's called you to do, and you know what, it won't be the same thing I'm doing. That's what's beautiful about this, okay? I'm free to concentrate on what I'm called to, you're free to concentrate on what you're called to, and together God accomplishes all he has for each of us as his body. It's amazing. And when you really strip it away, our breath, our talents, our stuff, our life, it's all his anyway. It's all his. So when we're surrendering to him and using things for Christ's sake, you know what we're doing? Just living in the truth. 
It's all his. They're all his. This incredible process of unity, this being able to experience the yes of life comes as we begin with humility, as we depend on the God. And then look what he does. This is what's so cool about God. He has unique people with unique gifts. Verse 4 says, Just as we have many members in one body and all the members don't have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually we're members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us exercise them accordingly. You see, God takes and he provides unity and diversity. That's his picture. Each of us has a role. Each of us has a critical, chosen, beautiful place to walk with the God of the universe and his plan for eternity. It's so hard for us to think of it. Each of us has a gift. Each of us has uh, an amazing ability to know God. And, and as we know ourselves, as we expect, accept ourselves, we get to, the only way we can do that is as we know him. You see, when our eyes are on him, we don't envy each other. When our eyes are on him, we don't think, oh, I wish I wasn't here. I should be over there. I should be able to do what they're doing. It's no fair they get what they get. Our eyes are on the Lord. We rest in our role. We're blessed and we prosper in where he has put us. As a church, all of a sudden, when we consider this core value of unity, all of a sudden we can stop and we need to consider spiritual gifts. You see, we have unique people with unique gifts. And there's so much confusion about spiritual gifts. And I think it's so fascinating that spiritual gifts are this source of pride, this source of envy, this source of division, this source of strife, this source of jealousy, this source of I want, I want, I want. When these are gifts given by God to build up the body and to provide unity to fulfill God's purpose. What Satan do? Causes division. Causes envy. Causes, really, uh, jealousy. Right? And, and when a humility is replaced by pride, that's what happens. When we start looking again at me and what I'm supposed to do, all of a sudden, we struggle. And turmoil ensues. Now, here's what's amazing. The Greek word for gifts. That's most often by far translated for gifts. The Greek word is charismata, charisma. That's what the word is, charisma. By far, that's the most commonly used word. And, and you know, when you think about it, in our world, what's charisma mean? Charisma means inspiring others. It means uh, a commanding kind of uh, performance. It's a captivating person, right? It's someone who has this, this magnetic personality that draws you in. That's charisma. Someone's charismatic and they draw you in and they attract you and they kind of compel you. It's, it's this captivating thing. What's interesting is originally the word was used to describe God. And ultimately, it was changed to kind of describe all these false gods. And now in our world, it describes us, right? Charismatic. That person is charismatic. And, and so what we've done is we've taken this word that was used to describe God, and in our culture, in our society, we've brought it down to describe us. Well, you know what the word means? The result of grace. That's what the gift is, a result of grace grace. It's a gift of grace. It's, it's favor given by God's grace. So it's a spiritual gifts 
spiritual are not the result of, of man. They're beyond the physical, right? And so a spiritual gift is a result of God's grace in a man or woman. That's it. One author describes it this way. It's an instantaneous enablement by God in the power of the Spirit to do or say something beyond one's natural ability in order to fulfill a specific purpose of God in the time frame God prevents. You see, it's a God-given ability to minister. There's no place for pride. There's no place for envy. There's no place for jealousy. These are gifts given by God to profit his church for his glory, to build up the body. And every believer has a gift or gifts. And they're given when we come to know Christ as our Savior. Peter tells us, as each one of us is uh, received the special gift, employ it in serving one another. We're all supposed to use them to build up the body. God has given his gifts, his uniquely given this combination of gifts and talents and experiences and circumstances to every single one of you. It's yours. It's totally uniquely yours. And no two people have the same, the same background, the same gift, the same talent, the same experience. Why did he do that? To reveal himself for the good of all of us. And so if we're not walking in those gifts, if we're not being who God has called us to be, it hurts all of us. It not only hurts me, but it hurts every single one in the body because he's put us all together for his glory that way. Gifts are from God. They're for God. He produces the results. It's amazing what he does. So as we consider our gifts and the gifts of others, you know how cool it is to be able to experience that yes that Michael Phelps experienced when Jason Lezak was setting the great times? It's like, yes, there was an incredible thrill in someone else accomplishing more than you could do on your own, and yet it just blesses you. That's what you experience. That's what we experience when we discover our role, when we discover our purpose, we discover our significance in the body. It's like this greatest thing going on. You've you got to understand something. He has given you gifts. He has placed you in his body. He has allowed each and every one of us an opportunity to be used by him and not only in some little deal, okay? The greatest thing that's going on in earth right now, the greatest thing that's going on in history right now, the greatest thing that's going on on the planet right now is going on through the church of Jesus Christ. Think about that. When this thing's all said and done, they put all the pieces away. When we look back on our life on earth, the most significant things in 2012 are not happening in the White House. They're not happening in Congress. They're not happening in some overseas government. The most significant things going on in 2012 that are having an eternal impact are happening through the church of Jesus Christ. That's you. What an amazing thrill. You get to be at the center of the most significant things in history that are going on. Each and every one of us does. What a cause for celebration and joy and thrill. It's amazing. Your role is critical, it's vital, it's unique. God put you here at this time, in this year, with all the contacts you have and all the circumstances you have for his glory, and he picked you for now. That is so cool. That is so cool. And, and, and he goes on and he talks, Paul talks about just a partial list of the gifts here. He kind of hits the, the, some of the main gifts, and he talks about really the prophet and gift of servant and the teacher and exhortation, the giver. He talks about the leader. He talks about the gift of mercy. There's no mistakes by God. You can swim in your lane, okay? 
And we can all of a sudden appreciate each other. There's not guilt. There's not envy. There's not jealousy. God's the one who gives the gifts. All right? You don't have to teach to be okay. As a matter of fact, please, you'll find that you're, you're much more blessed in your sweet spot. And, and here's, here's what I mean. You know, like Satan is this deceiver, right? And so he wants us to kind of focus on ourselves. And, and, and here's what he does. It kind of leads to this u- external kind of unanimity. And, and so like I like to give and I like to serve and I really like the gift of mercy. And really, I'd, none of those are my primary spiritual gifts, okay? And as a matter of fact, our, our staff really and my kids give me total grief about my lack of mercy. So if you're looking for, <laughs> and just ask them, or you can, you know, if you're looking for someone who's merciful, they just, my girls have realized for years that's not me, okay? I'm the get over it guy that you're fine, okay? Your life will not end based on this circumstance. I'm sorry. You'll be, you'll be fine, honey. It'll, it's okay. And, uh, and so, but I love to see that, okay? So here's what happens. I see the giver. I see the servant. I see that gift of mercy displayed. And, and the gift, you know what they do? They find ways to give behind the scenes often to meet these needs, to bless others. They're kind of always looking for ways to give or ways to serve. And, and God knows exactly who he uses and he uses them in incredible ways and it just changes lives. It's amazing to watch that. And all of a sudden the deceiver comes and wants me to think, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. Right? I don't have that gift of mercy. I don't have that gift of giving. So I'm selfish. I'm a dirt ball. And, and so what we try and do in the church is we try and, you know, make this kind of uh, unanimity happen. So what we say is, okay, we all know we're supposed to give, so let's kind of make this rule. We'll all give 10%. All right? And then we can feel good about ourselves if we give 10%. Now, the thing is, you don't want to ask the person with the gift of giving what percent they give. Okay? You don't want to ask. Because their perspective is not on what percent they give. Their perspective is on what percent do I have to keep. Because you know what, God? Use me however you want to use me. It's all yours. Everything is yours. Use me. I'll give whatever you want me to give. I'll serve wherever you want me to serve. I'll be merciful to whoever you want me to be merciful to, even if they don't deserve it. Matter of fact, I know they don't, but you know what? (laughs) They need your love. You see, the, the, the whole perspective changes. It's not about some percent, but it's like, it's all yours, God. It's such a thrill to be used by the God of the universe in this sweet spot. And, and you see the deception, right? You see the deception. We're not all given the gift of giving, and yet we're all to give. We're not all given the gift of servants, and we're all, all to serve. And so the deceiver wants to condemn us because we somehow think that our gifts are insignificant compared to other people's gifts, and I wish I could do what they do because if I did, then I'd feel better about myself. But all of a sudden, when my focus turns to Jesus Christ, when my focus turns to Jesus Christ, unity develops in the body. And all of a sudden, there's this sweetness. There's like this, yes, this thrill to see the givers give and the servers serve. And I love to see those with the gift of mercy employ it. I'm just like so amazed at that. It's so awesome to see. And you just get like this thrill that's way better than doing it yourself. It's an incredible picture of the body. And, and there's this sweetness for me in just being a pastor teaser. It's, it's my sweet spot. And, and it's something that I've done way before I ever was involved in a church. It's since I became a Christian. It's just what I love to do. It's just what, who I am. It's how God's wired me. 
And, and I've developed the sweetness to experience really the thrill of using Marsha, my wife, to lead people to Christ. She's an evangelist. And, you know, I've gotten to lead people to Christ. It's an incredible privilege. It's holy ground. And yet she just focuses on that. It's her sweet spot to look at those who don't know the Lord and to try and love them and to look at those who don't quite fit in and try and include them to fit in. And it's just thrilling to watch. I mean, we can go through the line at the grocery store a hundred times and not say anything to anybody about God, okay? Until that one time when God puts on her heart some person and then I know that it's my job to just go and pray and, and watch him move. It's so sweet to see that. You see, I, I've developed this, this sweetness in our preaching team. And, and, and we just, we have this sweetness as we've come together. It's just a, it's so precious to me to see Pat as the exhorter. And, and he, I love to kind of support him as he encourages people in their walk, as, as he disciples, as he counsels. What he does is applies the word of life to their daily life. It's sweet to me. It's sweet to see Bill uh, as he exercises really his gift of prophecy, as he speaks forth the truth. And, and, and really, you know what he always wants to do? He always wants to give you what he's just learned from God, right? If you ever talk to Bill, he's like, you know what God's teaching me, okay? And he loves to kind of share that. He loves to take that word and apply it and express his thoughts. I love that. It's a sweet spot to me to see Mike make this whole church function. You've got to see behind the scenes. It's, it's, it's amazing to see how he administers it and how it runs, how he kind of puts everything together, how he connects people and events and finances and everything functions that wouldn't function. But you know what's fascinating to me? I was reading this article about uh, what people are really drawn to a church and their first impressions. And, and here's, what, here's what it is, okay? It's the nursery and the bathrooms, you got, you got to love it, okay? If they like the nursery, if it's clean, if the people are sweet, they can trust their kids there, they like this church. If the bathrooms are clean, if you know where they are, if they're easy to find, you like this church. You know what? It doesn't matter who's up here. I'm sorry, worship team. I'm sorry, preaching team. You know, it's just not the key thing, okay? And I love that about the body. Every piece comes together to see God glorified. And it's like this, this sweet that's just, you can't even describe it. But I love to see those who serve. I love to see it happen behind the scenes. I love to see those who give. You know, they'll look at the bulletin and say, oh, we're behind on our budget. I'll make it up. Okay, and I don't know who gives anything. And I love that. But some way, God uses his people to give. It's beautiful. It's so fun to see those with the gift of mercy come alongside others. It's so awesome to see them in the hospital, to see them connecting with people who are hurting. It's, it's beautiful to see the teachers teach. Not only in the classrooms, but in life. There's like this beautiful unity at Rimrock that, that we treasure, that we, we strive to know God. We strive to walk in the truth. We strive to point people to God. And as we focus on Him, this unity develops that everybody wants. We all want to experience it. There's this incredible sweetness here that's indescribable. Thanks for providing that. Thanks for just being you and living who you are. You see, this Christian unity is, is, is hard to describe, but it's like this relationship amongst a group of people where we capture the power of God and what he's doing in lives. And I got to tell you, there's nothing greater on earth. You can't do anything more significant than just allow God to live through you. It's the most significant thing you could ever do, no matter how our world shouts differently. It is absolutely beautiful. 
You know, as the Olympic Games come to a close, I want to come back to 1984 in Los Angeles. And Randy Lewis was in the spotlight, and I told him I was going to talk about this today, but, but he was in freestyle wrestling, featherweight division. He had won three high school state titles at Stevens High School, a four-time All-American, two-time um, NCAA champ, right, from the University of Iowa. And he had made the 1980 team, but that was the year, the President Carter that we boycotted the Olympics in Moscow. In 1988, he lost to John Smith, who was ultimately going to win the gold. And 84 was Randy's time, and he outscored his first four opponents 52-4. to He defeated a Japanese wrestler 24-11, and, you know, he got that thrill that was just like, yes, and you can catch it on YouTube if you want to see that thrill. And, and, and it was like, even though in this seemingly individual sport like wrestling, you don't do it on your own. And Randy worked for hours, years. He, he dedicated his life to this sport. And way beyond belief of how much time he put in. But, you know, if you ask him, um, his parents, Larry Carroll, his brother Bob, sister Robin, his coaches. I think about, like, the, the, the process that goes into this stuff. Um, I think of Mr. Brandt and Tom Long and Gable. There's many more. His competitors, his sponsors, his teammates through the years that shared the gym. One of his teammates is here today, and we have a picture of him. <laughs> and he was surprised, and I asked him if he brought his... I think he still has... He wears this around the house. <laughs> but actually, Pat is cutting weight, so he probably could still wear this thing. I, I don't know. But Pat was one of Randy's teammates. And, and, uh, and so there's so many things that go into to winning even an individual medal. But 1984 was Randy's moment. It was when he was in the Olympic spotlight. Virtually none of us are going to experience that thrill that he experienced and his family experienced. But you know what? I want each of us to know something. That thrill, and I mean, it's hard for us to grasp what that thrill that we saw in Michael Phelps and those guys as they celebrated, that thrill that Randy experienced. I want you to know, I want you to know without a doubt, there's nothing compared to what each of us will experience when we stand face to face with the God of the universe in that day. Those thrills that we experience here are nothing. And they're awesome, but they're nothing compared to standing before the God. That day that we receive our reward, that day that, that we realize how God used us to impact eternity, that day that the King of kings, Lord of lords, recognizes us as his, there's nothing that compares to your role as being a believer in the church of Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. And, and God can, and he will, and he does use you to make an eternal impact in life. Your life has eternal significance that is beyond description. When we take our eyes off of ourselves, we realize that he's given each of us a unique place. He's given each of us unique gifts, unique talents, unique experiences. He's perfectly designed us to be the ones that he uses to love those around us. And may we be the church May we be the church that God uses to change Rapid City, that God uses to change the Black Hills, because we are the ones who put our focus on the God of the universe. We are part of the universal church, and may Christians across the world put their focus on him, and may it start with us. And as we do, it's amazing what he can do. We get to experience that indescribable unity, that thrill that everyone everywhere longs for. 
As we close the service, we're going to partake in communion, which is an incredible picture for thousands of years Christians have done to share the unity in the body of Christ. So if Pat would come up and the, the uh, elders uh, join me in prayer. Father, we, we come to you and we recognize you are the God of the universe, the King of kings, Lord of lords. And God, I pray for each person here right now that there would not be a person here who leaves this place without knowing you as their Savior, that there would not be a person here who doesn't leave this place without knowing that you have absolutely chose them for a perfect role in your body, for your glory. And may each person here realize the significance of what they're doing as they share your love. And God, may we just spend the next few hours living our lives for Christ's sake. Use us for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. It's kind of scary because Pat gets the mic last, but... Your time's coming.